Hello, everyone. This week, I'm talking with Julie Kratz about living and working during a pandemic. Julie Kratz is a TEDx speaker, inclusive leadership trainer, executive coach, author, and founder of Next Pivot Point. Julie is passionate about promoting equality in the workplace, empowering women to build winning career game plans, while helping organizations pivot to the next level. On the show, we talked about how do we have smart conversations with our family, our teams, and what do we want to have happen going forward? Recognizing how much mental energy it takes to manage words like pandemic and COVID-19 on a daily basis. She's got some great tips here on the choices we make about how we live our day, knowing that no one is perfect but we can be in the driver's seat with making decisions about how we live and work during a very unusual situation and practice self-care for ourselves and also care for others. Tune in. I think you're going to love this show. Welcome, Julie. I'm so glad that you could make it on the show. I think this is absolutely perfect timing for us to have a discussion about how we're going to be surviving going forward, working in this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I'm so excited to join the conversation. <laughs> so we've talked a little bit about working virtually and, you know, that pretty much everybody is experiencing some kind of overload or sense of exhaustion from all of this. And I'd love to hear your take on how this is affecting us and as we look going forward that it could be even longer mm -hmm. what can we be doing to be managing better in working in a pandemic and very unfamiliar circumstances yeah well i think first and foremost is recognizing how much mental energy it takes to handle words like pandemic on a daily basis <laughs> I know I got into a few unfortunate habits through this uh, coronavirus episode, and and one of them was listening to the news every morning. I was starting my day doing that, and it really did not bode well for my mental health and really took me to a negative, scary place to start my day, of all things. So lesson learned from my own mistakes is starting our day positively. And, and hopefully that trend continues through your day, but you do have control over the choices you make to start your day. And what the research shows, how we bookend our day, the beginning and the end of our day really does set the tone for our day, especially the beginning. Even if you're not a morning person, that is when your brain is the freshest. So feeding it what it needs and what gives you energy to start your day, I think is a really healthy routine that I myself knew better and deviated from. Um, but really, you know, no one's perfect all of the time as I've learned through this, myself included, you're, you're gonna, your energy is going to be affected and you're going to have good days and bad days and all the mental health practices and mindfulness techniques aren't going to work every single day, but to the degree to which you can control your choices uh, and starting your day with intention, you know, things like meditation, things like yoga and positive journaling, the things that I know work well, <laughs> the things that I was choosing not to do, 
instead feeding my brain that negative energy really kind of set the tone for a negative day. So that and in the other bookend is the evening time. Um, and this is something I'm very protective of because I'm a sleeper. Um, I need my sleep. I think for most of our listeners right now, again, just being in a stressful situation, like most of us are, you're going to need more sleep. Your, your yeah. brain's going to need to reset at a higher level. So if you were skimming by less than seven hours uh, a night, you know, maybe that worked before, but it probably doesn't work now. And I would argue mm. it probably didn't work well before. 99% <laughs> of human beings on the planet need the seven hours or more a night. Um, and for me, I need more than that. You know, I'm an eight or nine hour person nowadays, mm. more like 10. And I know we can have a shameful, you know, perception around people that sleep too much is laziness. I promise you I'm not lazy. That's just what my <laughs> I need to reset. So bookending your day with healthy practices in your morning routine and also setting up healthy sleep patterns because your brain needs that time to reset. And then in the throes of the, the middle parts of your day, I would say managing your calendar effectively. And we all have jobs, right? We have things we have mm-hmm. to do, not things we always want to do. I'm not saying, you know, throw out <laughs> your responsibilities, but to the degree to which you can say yes to things on your calendar that you're actually going to look forward to doing. And this is a daily practice. Look at your calendar for the day and think, what am I excited to do today? What do I want to do? What is the thing I dread doing? It tells you a lot about the things you should say yes to in the future. And maybe the things you should say no to, delegate, or maybe say no thanks right now to, right? And so there's polite ways to decline doing everything and saying yes to everything and being mindful about what you choose to prioritize right now. Oh, I love that so much. Because I think, you know, we get into this shoulda, shoulda, shoulda phase. And especially if we're not used to working from home, plus we may have kids at home or we may have family, we may have all kinds of things going on. I mean, the level of chaos that people are dealing with right now is really overwhelming for a lot of people. And so then we start on this path of, oh, I should take care of this. I should call this person, find out how they're doing. I have to show up for every single meeting and sit through the whole meeting, all of those things. Um, And it's, to me, I think that it's really an impulse of self-protection to some extent that we're actually just trying to hold the world off a little bit by doing things that are things that our familiar shoulds. And we kind of have to change those rules now, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great time. I mean, when you're going through the throes of change, it may feel overwhelming to add another change to the mix, but I would argue the positive momentum has started with change. Might as well keep (laughs) that big boulder moving and Mm -hmm. add some other change. Use this as an opportunity to pivot forward positively And that's really been the message I've had being somebody that's a fan of pivot points, whether they're in careers or inside organizations, be looking at this as as an opportunity to fuel things that are positive. What do I want more of? What do I want less of? Making a couple lists and really thinking about how I can be in the driver's seat of making decisions that are aligned with those things and a great opportunity with our family for those of you I get the opportunity to spend time with your immediate family right now, really resetting like, Hey, have we, assuming we enjoyed some of this time together, what are the things we want to carry forward with us? You know, as Mm. we 
kind of pivot back to some things that are going to be somewhat normal or commonplace from before, but a lot of things that are forever changed. How do we make this forever different world one that we enjoy and one that works for us? And what are our values and behaviors that we want to maintain in our home? It's a really important conversation. And it's, it's easier to start this conversation right now too, because there's so much going on <laughs> and we have the time. We don't have to run all over town for baseball practices and rush home from work to make dinner. I mean, we've got the time to have a meaningful conversation and, and an excuse to have one too. So mm-hmm. asking some deep, thoughtful questions at the dinner table um, and of your work team. And that's probably done on a virtual call, but nonetheless, a conversation that I would argue we need to have now and not to throw another wrench into all of life's complications right now, but an opportunity to really think, what do we love about this? What do we not love? What do we want more of? What do we want less of? What behaviors do we want um, to do consistently in the future? Those are all really good questions to have a healthy dialogue. And if you're facilitating that or starting it, just listen, you know, listen to what your family, your team have to say and reflect and think about your own values and beliefs and behaviors and add to the conversation. Promise you it'll be one where you learn a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's incredibly important and very overlooked right now to take that time to reflection, to reflect that it isn't about oh, I have to do all this stuff and I have to keep running because I got to be so productive. And I think we get really hung up in Productive means busy, and that's not uh-huh. actually true at all. So can no. you speak to a little bit more about, especially in leadership, how can we be effective yeah. and productive and less well, busy? It's, well, it's funny because our conversation today, how are you? Oh, I had a busy day. <laughs> that's the words <laughs> that came out of my mouth. and. Busy is a word I have really consciously reframed this year to active, um, which isn't necessarily better. But to your point about this obsession with busyness, what was that all about? And and this is a very much, you know, having traveled and spent time in other countries, this is an American thing. Like we very much reverend the work you know, uh, uh, sleep when you're dead, you know, Mm -hmm, (laughs) these mm -hmm. mantras that are super unhelpful. You know, the the idea that we have to work all of the time and comparing, I work 70 hours a week, like it's better than 40. Is it? No. Hell no. And I think this is an opportunity, (laughs) right? (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) This is an opportunity to question How much of these things did I really want or how much was I going through the motions to compare myself to others and to think I was doing all of the right fits and and fitting in with this perfect mold in society that maybe wasn't working for me after all. Mm -hmm. And I I can't tell you how many leaders in corporate America have told me that they've really enjoyed this time, that they like their morning walk, that they like Mm -hmm. spending time with their children, that they like not having to leave at 7 a.m. and not go home till 7 p.m., just in time to have dinner, you know, bedtime, take, you know, have a scrounge an hour of self-care time, binge watching, you know, TV or playing on Instagram. All the just rents and everything. at our house. Exactly. <laughs> it's not really self-care time. That's actually right. unhealthy. Yeah. And then rinse and repeat and start all over the next day. And how many people, when they really sit down with intention and 
in my coaching work and my workshops, I see this often, you know, visualization, it, asking people to visualize a future of which they're their happiest self mm-hmm. and really asking some deeper questions around it to articulate and paint that vision and write it down and journal it. No one writes 70 hour work weeks. No one, <laughs> no one writes 40 no hour work week. <laughs> right. Or beat everyone to the office and not see my children ever. It, no one writes that. So why yeah. are we living that life? And this is a great time. I know I redid my vision board because let's be honest, 2020 was not at all what I wanted it to be. But actually, you know, the word that I wrote down, I was really practicing mindfulness this year and being was my word. (laughs) While that's still important, that's likely not going to happen because of a lot of things. Instead, I replaced a word I really felt was achievable um, and it was really relevant and the word was pivot and, and, mm-hmm. and that's a conscious word. It, it is in my business name. So it's a little self-serving, but I will say this is an opportunity to pivot and what I thought it was going to be, I got to let go of and what it can be. I need to accept mm-hmm. and I started visualizing the things that are, are possible that I feel really good about still. And a lot of it has to do with just family and feelings and less about numbers and dollars. and. I I think that really resonates with a lot of people on a human scale. I think it always has, but something like a pandemic, again, brings to light what's really important. And Mm -hmm. the human factor is is usually what's really important. Yeah, I'm hearing the same thing from corporate folk that I'm talking to that, you know, this is a time when they're starting to reevaluate. And it's kind of a forced pivot in many ways, because there are things that are never going to be the same. And this is a really great time for us to step back. And rather than getting distracted by the news, distracted by the panic and the grief and the anguish that people are feeling, is to be able to step back from that, take a lot of breaths, and just think in a perfect world, what do I want to happen next? And really give space for that, you know, really allow that to sit for a while and marinate because it's going to change. But if we don't open that door, then it's just way too easy to spend four more hours on Netflix instead (laughs) and then be miserable when everything starts back up again. I agree with you. No, I agree with you. It is an opportunity to to reset, to recalibrate. And, And I think for business leaders I'm talking to right now, they're, they're so overwhelmed in crisis mode and mm-hmm. probably managing either from a customer perspective, certainly from an employee perspective. And if you're in an industry that happens to be busy right now, you're probably overwhelmed. And so is your team. If you are not, it's kind of extremes, right? If you're not, then you might be having to make some choices that don't feel so good with unemployment or furloughing. So there's kind of these extremes. Um, And what I'm hearing is, Julie, my team's got way too much on their plate right now. I can't ask them to do another thing or change. Mm. I don't think that's what we're arguing for in this podcast. It's more, this is an opportunity to be mindful about our future, to leverage this as an opportunity to pivot and take control of some of the things we can control in the future. And our behavior is absolutely within our control. And and again, what are the things we want to work on? Um, I get the sense 
from a lot of people I'm talking to that are hungry for personal development, professional development. And to your point, people are kind of numbing themselves with Netflix. Um, there's a big trend on escapism with fiction mm -hmm. um, books right now. So people aren't wanting to confront some of the hard realities. And there's, you know, this, is, this escape into other people's problems and other things rather than facing the facts and facing the mirror of what could I do? Um, so I think resisting that temptation to hit the easy button or the numb button right now mm -hmm. and, and really think not more about additive, more things they have to do and more tough decisions they have to make, but really like at my core, what really resonates with me? What's really important? How do I leverage this as an opportunity to take control of some of the things I felt like were not within my control? And that's a different conversation that's with yourself, with your team, again, with your family. It's, it's less about doing and, and more about that being factor. Who do I want to be? Right. And looky there, what you do I right want? back to it anyway. <laughs> back to being. <laughs> right. Exactly. Pivot to being. Yeah. My, my words keep looping, but you know, one of my favorite coaching questions that I learned in my certification process that I ask my clients and I ask of myself when I journal what do I want? I mean, mm -hmm. that's a hard question to answer. So listeners, you know, I close your eyes, spend, spend a few minutes just thinking about what do I want from your family, from your career, spiritually, health, um, wellness, financially, you know, what are mm. the key parts of your life that are important relationships and just write down everything you want. And that's not my vision board. I mean, it, it's, it's actually really simple when you kind of key out the categories that are really important to you and just see it. It becomes so clear. And once your brain sees it, it starts activating and doing it. It believes yeah. it. It, it makes it happen. Mm -hmm. It maps behavior subconsciously. So it is these less things you have to do. It's actually a mental state that you choose that then you kind of go on autopilot to do. Now there is some the hard work in between. <laughs> Just um, a little. But but it, if it, this is why visualization, this is why positive thinking, this is why those powerful, you know, to your point about creating space, those types of questions really do work. They're very effective for mindfulness and just overall well-being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I tell people a lot, you know, that we can just stop and allow yourself to just have that space around a question that you're asking yourself about what do I want to do? Or also, what do I not want to do anymore? Yeah. You know, do I not want to commute for an hour and a half, two hours, three hours a day? Okay, great. So if that's what I want to stop doing, how am I going to make that change? And start making those plans because we feel so much better when we make those visions and we set yeah. our sights on a goal instead of feeling victimized, which is what a lot of people are feeling right now, is that everything's out of control and they can't do anything. And that's yeah. not really true, you know, but we have to make the choice to say, okay, okay, everything's changed in a big way. I can sit here and wallow in it or I can get up off my butt and figure out what I'm going to do next. Yeah. I love really that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a practice. There's a reason we call these things practices. <laughs> okay. 
there's no arrival at a destination. It is a continuous journey. You know, the other thing I'd offer and kind of thinking about the future and what it looks like and something that's worked well for me from a mental health and just positive thinking perspective is really thinking about the activities that give you energy. And, and to your point, you can't control things. You know, if, if it was spending time with your older family members, that's probably not something you can do right now, for example. Um, if it was going to crowded places, again, something you can't do. But what can we do? And I, I've really focused on, again, that practice of what gives me energy, what's happening in my best days, how could I do more of those things more often? And there are things like walking with friends. We call them socially distanced walks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe those will be less distanced, but spending time outside with people is still okay in small groups. And, and it's certainly one-on-one -on -one walking together um, and do what you feel is safe and comfortable. I have some friends that do not want to do that still, and that's totally fine. Um, but I feel so good on those days when I can spend time with someone I care about and actually see them, not touch them or not get mm -hmm. close to them, but I can still see them. And that feels really human and real to me, side-by-side -side communication, and that hour just flies by together. Um, the other thing is I've been taking um, Epsom salt baths, and this is something my health coach Amazing. recommended. Yeah, my health coach recommended this a year plus ago, and I would always say, I don't have too busy. I can't fit in that <laughs> into my schedule. <laughs> Suddenly, I have the time. Yeah. And it's just a 20-minute reset button once a day. That's what I'm going to do after this. <laughs> and I just sit there and I don't think about, I try not to think about anything, right? It's mm -hmm. my mindfulness time. And I'll tell you, I mean, I don't try to have good ideas. <laughs> not my goal. It's not my think tank. But it happens. I mean, yes. I come out of there like, whoa, that was a great idea. Wow, if only we gave our brain some space to stop doing, could we actually think and actually yes. process life around us? So that has been a huge lesson learned that I'm going to carry forward into the future of whatever this looks like and protect that time mm -hmm. for those activities and spend time continuing the walks and the baths and the positive journaling and the visioning and, you know, these, these tools that I've always known, the techniques and you can know all the techniques and the hacks, but it's the mental practice of it, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the continued focus on it um, and the mindset around it that, that's been the hardest for me lately. But, but just even thinking through this out loud, giving myself a pat on the back, I am doing some of these things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I am being, even though I had to pivot my word. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting because you know, we have a running joke in our family that we're thinking about putting a grease pencil in the shower because that's when we have those brainstorm ideas that you're like, wow, where did that come from? It's so amazing. And, you know, like I have a whiteboard in my office, which is right outside the bathroom. And I run to the office and write stuff down. And um, it's really amazing when we allow our minds to stop thinking, to stop spinning and just be. And that can be going out into the fresh air for a walk. It can be taking a bath. It can be riding a bicycle. It can be just meditating. Any of those things that just allows you to just be okay with being there. And yeah. um, I've really been advising people to kind of do that before they have meetings. You know, before you get on that Zoom, give yourself one minute to just settle in and be in that place. 
and see how it changes your attitude when you go into the meeting. Um, so let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about leadership because now leadership has taken on new qualities and new pressures for leaders that some carried in any way and some had just kind of been drifting along, you know, doing what they're doing. And now they're like, oh crap, I actually have to manage people. So how can we kind of help them um, manage a little bit better? Yeah. This? COVID has provided a spotlight on good leadership and not so good leadership. <laughs> You've seen some stark examples of both and organizations that are leading mm. effectively and that are not. And while leadership was always important, and I think companies have wanted to focus on it, it gets an easy back burner thing. And I'm actually starting to see it go to the back burner with all of this. And that's a mistake because there has never been a better time to lead inclusively. If you're managing a virtual team, if you're managing a team on the front lines, if you're managing a team that's being furloughed, whatever your situation is, having empathy for people as human beings, mm -hmm. listening, to people and not advising, um, being vulnerable and real with your Ooh. team, building trust. Yes. One of the first things I did when all of this started to happen, is like, oh, trust. If your team didn't have trust before, it's going to be not so good in this world. Mm -hmm. If you were micromanaging before and telling and directing and teaching your team rather than letting them figure things out on their own and coaching them. It's going to be a lot harder to do in this world. And it was probably not the best choice before, but it's a really poor choice now. So it's forcing people to pivot. It's forcing them to change some behaviors that they might have already needed to change. But working on building trust, working on coaching your team, working on communicating openly and finding a communication vehicle that really keeps a pulse on where your team is from a mentality perspective, from a burnout perspective. Um, before things, before it gets too late, right? And we see something not so good happen. And so all of these behaviors around leadership, these are the organizations that are still thriving. And I've talked to a few of my clients that already had this in motion years ago. They say things like, I'm so happy I work for this company as I compared notes, right? I'm glad I don't work for where my best friend does. That sounds mm. terrible. So it just really magnifies company culture. And I'm doing some work on the future of work and asking people as they kind of think about this return to work, whether it's this year or next year, whenever the timetable makes sense for your organization or industry, is when we kind of do come out on the other side of this, what do you want? What's most important? And the factors by a landslide, we tested 10 things and the things that came out on top were working for a company that's ethically morally good. Shocker. You know, it's kind of like table stakes, but apparently not, you know, that many people had to say that. Um, working for a company that does good for the world, a product or service does something good. Uh, and then core values, right? Having core values I actually believe in and that are really true to the organizations. Mm -hmm. A lot of them have them on their website and on walls, but not live in them. And then the fourth one, I was pleasantly surprised with the work I do on diversity and inclusion. That was the fourth big factor that people wanted was an effective diversity and inclusion education program mm -hmm. and really believing in that as a value for the organization. Everything else was teeny tiny as mm -hmm. far as what people wanted. So those four factors, 
I, I really think as we hit this reset button and, and go in, inclusive leadership, if you weren't doing it before, including people and listening to people, got a lot of work to do on the other side of this. Yeah. Doing, you won't be able to do a lot of the being. <laughs> and it's going to be a lot more than just getting everybody to do unconscious bias tests. Yes. Thank you. That's not the right place to start. <laughs> but it is a classic place where people go, you know, they go back to these old modalities and wonder, well, aren't I done? Uh-huh. You know, and it, it really takes actually having conversations and and really listening. And, you know, uh-huh. for me, empathy, listening, having compassion for what people are going through is what's going to define leaders going yeah. forward. It's no longer going to be enough to be a pusher and a shover and a teller. It's just not going to work. No. And, you know, it's interesting because I know there's a lot of studies been done and they're like, millennials won't take this. You know, they're going to make sure that they only work with conscious companies. Look, I'm not a millennial. I know it's a big shock to my listeners, but I'm a boomer. And I still believe that we need to have more conscious companies out there. It's not a generational thing. It may have been sparked by a generation, but it's not a generational thing anymore. We want more from the places that we work because we can't say, oh, I'm just going to go work for the company and I'm going to have a, you know, pension at the end and everything's going to be fine. That ain't Mm -hmm. there. So there has to be Mm -hmm. something that makes us want to work for that company beyond a paycheck. Yeah. Well, thank you for supporting that as a boomer. And uh, (laughs) it's interesting because that was one of the first things people said with my study. We had about 260 um, people participate and we did ask age. We weren't going to ask age, but then we did. I'm glad we did because the biggest representation was people in their 30s and 40s. Mm. Because I think people point to all oh, those millennials, which I guess could be in their 30s still, but or Gen Z, all oh, those, you know, socialists or they, you know, they believe in corporate <laughs> all social the stereotypes. Yeah, all these <laughs> do-gooders. You know, care about the environment too much. Just get it, get to work, and you know, get a paycheck. And Horror. Yeah. And it was really interesting that those factors emerge socially good companies, ethical companies, diverse and inclusive core values. Those are the things that people really want. And older, more tenure people do too. So Mm -hmm. this is much more of a human factor. And I think we were just conditioned, you know, myself included, I entered corporate America in early 2000s and it was not, certainly diversity and inclusion was not being discussed back then. And I worked for a huge global company and it was very much button seat, get your job done. I'll tell you to do something. If I don't, don't question me. I'm the leader hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I lasted about four years. I'm like enough of this. And when I questioned things, people would say, you know, it's called a paycheck. Like this is what you get. Stuff Just eat it. Mm-hmm. So you kind of get conditioned. It's like, okay, well, I guess this is what work looks like. And then after 12 years, like I had it, I started my own business and haven't missed a day in corporate America since. But I say that because I think Gen Xers and certainly baby boomers got conditioned to just expect that that's the work way work had to be. And to our point mm-hmm. about pivoting forward, and this isn't a great cultural reset moment, maybe it never had to be that way. Maybe we just accepted that that was what it had to be because that's what we saw. Mm -hmm. Now that we've unseen it, 
what if we were to carry this forward, right? And really challenge a lot of the cultural norms that have been set in place since the Mad Men era of the 1950s that largely have been unchanged. Mm -hmm. Virtual work, for example, big pushback by the baby boomers. No way you can get your job done at home. Well, <laughs> I want to I want to say something about that because I've been working from home for over 20 years and this is not what working from home is like. We're in a pandemic. Make sure that you factor that in that this is not the normal work from yeah. home. Because yeah. that's something that people are like, man, this working from home stuff is hard. Well, yeah, but there's a lot of other things going on here. Yeah. And your kids are there and your, your partner's there. Like those are things that probably are different. <laughs> and you can't buy toilet paper, you know, these kind of things. <laughs> they, they're very human things that matter. And, um, mm -hmm. but I think that's going to carry forward into corporate life going forward that people are going to be thinking about wow, you know, I didn't have this long commute or wow, we mm -hmm. made our meetings a lot shorter to kind of save the Zoom fatigue and we actually got a lot done and we still mm -hmm. kept rolling even under all this stress. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and studies that have been around for, for quite some time that I've read really shows in the Scandinavian countries have been doing this for a while, a four-day work week with a one day being virtual or two days being virtual. Mm -hmm. um, there's a really nice balance coming out in a lot of research that's supported time and time again of like a two to three ratio. And depending on your degree to which you interact live with customers, that's, that's going to change, right? Healthcare, education, sure. you know, some things I could see like may not apply to your industry. But you know, challenging some of the norms and finding the right mix of virtual and in office work in the future that works for you. Mm -hmm. um, to your point, yeah, this is heightened. <laughs> and, and we didn't have the systems to support this. Coming out of this, we'll, we'll have a much better understanding of the systems needed to support a blend. What I suspect a lot of workplaces will go to a blended model of in office and virtual and hearing from companies already that as they return to work, they're thinking about these two days, you need to be in the office. These are team meeting days or strategy days, mm -hmm. whatever you call them. These three days you choose, but we're not in and out. Like you're either at home or you're here. So just having some parameters around it, mm -hmm. having some cultural norms around it. You don't need a lengthy work from home policy, but you probably need a list of expectations and to agree these are the expectations we agree to do because if you wake up sick or hung over and say you're working from home, that's, that's when things start to not unravel. <laughs> we hear the beach in the background on a conference call. <laughs> Although, you know, for me, one of my favorite things is that I can drop what I'm doing in the middle of the day. I can go ride my horse. I can come back. I can decide when I'm going to work and when I'm going to get things done. And yeah. um, that's one of the beauties of working from home. And the other thing I've been hearing too from clients probably like you, is that people are going to start saying, okay, we're going to rotate shifts because we're going to have social distancing for a very yeah. long time. So how are we going to do that when our office is one long table with 32 people sitting at it? You know, how are we going to make this work? Mm -hmm. Well, some of those people are going to work from home so that yep. we will have that capacity that yep. we, we're going to need to have going forward. Yep. Yeah. I'm hearing about um, like 12 foot rugs to signal social distancing, <laughs> six feet on each side. Yeah. Uh, I am also hearing about yeah, rotational days. 
Um, also deciding who's, who's essential to be in the office and who maybe not as much. So these are all key decision points that organizations are, are I know, testing all the different scenarios, <laughs> playing mm-hmm. with all the timetables, trying to outline what this is going to look like, but considerations for the future. Yeah. Social distancing, um, and, and just how we interact with each other physically will be, will be different probably forever. I mean, maybe yeah. forever, ever, but for, for quite some time. And so just getting your head around that is challenging for people. Mm-hmm. So the more, I think the organizations that I've seen thriving right now have laid out a plan, have said phase one, phase two, phase three, these things need to happen for A, B, and C to happen. And that means it can still change, but it, then at least people know kind of what to expect. Mm-hmm. Right? And so taking some guesses at the future right now and being okay being wrong or having some conditions or criteria to inform it, no, no plan is going to be perfect, but I really think people want information right now. They want to know what the future is going to look like, what to expect. And uncertainty month after month is hard to stomach. Yeah. So getting ahead of it, you know, I've had some organizations tell me it's 2021 when we're going to return to work, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Silicon Valley is saying August um, of 2020, which may slide. So it's just, you know, it's a working kind of, you know, iterative process and that timetable might be fluid, but the degree to which you feel comfortable sharing your plans and being transparent with your employees, I think is really going to behoove you and build trust for the future. Oh, absolutely. And I think including the employees in those, I mean, I'm, I've been on a lot of virtual all hands lately, Um, you know, where people are, they're wanting that sense of grounding and they're wanting some coping tools, which is great. Uh, but they're also wanting that sense of security. Like, am I going to have a job when I come back? What's that going to be like? They want to have some idea because, you know, it's, wow, I thought I was going back to work this month. Now I'm going back to work next month. Maybe it'll be August. Maybe it'll be September. So, you know, having some way to get that feedback that isn't, you know, having everybody jump on Zoom every day. Um, You know, how can we, have a collaborative environment. And some people are doing that really well with inner office communications, um, even things like Slack, which can get overloaded really quickly, but they are using those tools to communicate with people more. Yeah. 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 Finding, finding small dose iterative communication tools and every team is different to your point. You know, some like phone calls, some like Zoom calls, some like text messages, some like emails, Mm -hmm. some like tech-enabled software. Yeah, this is complicated, but finding the right blend that works for your team and checking in with them early and often about how that's working for them and what we could do differently. Um, A lot of organizations I'm working with are doing regular poll surveys. What do you like? What do you don't like? What do you want to know that you don't know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's been a misperception in the past before all this, I don't want to ask that question. What if they say this? Well, they were already thinking it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't change their mind by asking. You actually help them process it and get it out, which is actually Mm -hmm. much better to know than to not know. And they feel what people will tell me when they fill out the future of work survey. I just felt better letting that out. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I get a sense of ownership. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a sense of, okay, I have value here too. Yeah. And that's yeah. so important, especially now when people are not used to being distant, are not used to being disconnected. 
you know, people are missing their teams, they're missing the office environment, they're missing so much. So finding ways to give them some sense of ownership mm. and that builds security. It does. It does. And, and just finding places to vent, to get it out and to know that it's <laughs> you don't get to wave a COVID <laughs> wand, but uh, didn't it feel good to just let it out that I'm frustrated? Mm. I mean, the minute I accepted, it was a pivotal moment for me probably a week or two ago when I just said, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this it. Sucks. I don't want this. I didn't ask mm-hmm. for this. Can we please go back to February, 2020? And then I realized, no, <laughs> of course you can't. <laughs> and it's okay to not be okay. It, it's okay to say, I, I didn't necessarily want this, but I'm going to make the best of it. Right. That's and again, back to, to, yeah. And what choices am I willing to make? What, what tough choices mm-hmm. am I willing to make to accept this new reality? And it's not, it's a journey, but it's, 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 it's venting and getting it out instead of ruminating on it and not being able to label it and then kicking around in your brain. I'll mm-hmm. take over if you don't yeah. let it out. Yeah, absolutely. If we don't allow ourselves some form of venting and some form of just getting rid of it because you know if if we just hold it it's going to build up like a pressure cooker and, and we're going to be really sorry so don't do that. <laughs> emotional meltdowns <laughs> yeah. which i think most of us have probably had <laughs> yes yes my family witnessed one about a week and a half ago it was it was not good and I, you know, then you have to do a lot of apologizing afterwards mm. And it was not a shining moment, but again, back to being human, being real, um, yes. these things are going to happen. So practicing some forgiveness with ourselves through the process as well. Mm, absolutely. So if you are going to leave people with one thing that they should take from this conversation and think about, not ruminate, think about, what would that be? Yeah. I think, you know, towards the middle of our conversation, when we talked about visualization, I I do think this is a proven tool that's always helped me get out of a rut Mm -hmm. for anybody that struggled, whether that's in your career, with your family, with the current situation, you know, economically, mentally, physically, (laughs) financially, whatever it is, finding a way to kind of, again, think about that vision of 2020, um, 2021. What do you want, right? What do you really want from the different parts of your life and and paint that picture for you? Mm. It's amazing how it starts to manifest itself. And there's guided pieces. You can use magazines if you want. People always ask me how to do it. You know, I just write words on a regular piece of paper um, and kind of free flow it. I'm not the best illustrator, so I draw little <laughs> stick figures and things, and I'm okay with it. No one's judging. This is no one else this. Um, but I wrote a big pivot. You know, when I was my I thought about it, I wrote a big pivot first. Um, and then I thought about my family, and then I thought about books. And just a, a quick kind of summary to all of this, I wrote down, I visualized myself writing. A, I'm an author for adult books, but I thought about a children's book. Mm-hmm. around diversity and inclusion. And I'd have the idea. I just hadn't articulated it or put pen to paper on it. So I kind of drew a book. And, you know, the next day I'm talking to a group of my graduate school friends and I told them about my vision exercise and they're like, send me a picture. So I sent them a picture and one of them sees the picture of the book and she replies, hey, I'd illustrate that for you. 
<laughs> the world, the universe, you know, like mm-hmm. she wouldn't have known that had I not shared that with her. The world responds to these things. And I know it sounds a bit serendipitous and a little bit, um, you know, hokey pokey in the world that we're in today that's so serious and focused on a pandemic. But if you can articulate what you want, I promise the world has a way of presenting the opportunities. And if you can't articulate what you want, I promise you the world will not <laughs> show you those. You will not even be able to see them because you can't articulate it. Yeah. So do it. What's the worst that could happen? Spend a few minutes marinating, not marinating, ruminating, not marinating, not ruminating. Yeah. <laughs> Put some pen to paper. Rumination bad. Right. Rumination is endless. It doesn't have a product. But, you know, I, I do an exercise with people that um, in groups that's really fun to do. And it's you ask somebody, what do you want? And they tell you and you say, why? And they tell you. And then you ask them again, why? And you keep going through that process. And it's a wonderful if you don't have anybody to ask the question for you. Do it as a journaling thing. Okay, I want this. Why? Answer it answer it again and again and again and again. And eventually that distills down to, wow. Oh, okay. Cool. Or not. So yeah, you gotta have a why for any goal to work. You gotta have a deeper why. Yeah. You really do. And that, that is integral to anything you write down, have a why it's not going to (laughs) happen. So good. And, and the five-year-old why, why, why root cause (laughs) works every time to get to a really, really deep meaning behind it. Yeah. Usually really annoyed before I get to the end of it, but yes. <laughs> Me too. I'm like, I just told you, listen, oh, you oh. want the real reason. Mm, I don't <laughs> to share that. That's personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Julie, time just flew by. I really appreciate you taking the time to stop and talk with us. And uh, I will be sharing links in the uh, blog post that goes with this, but is there anything that you wanted to leave people with a place where they can find you in particular, read your book? Yeah. Yeah. I've got a few books out there. So if you're at a pivot point in your organization or leadership journey or career, um, I've got a few books that might be helpful for you. And you can find all of that at nextpivotpoint.com. Um, and there's a resources page on my website that's intentionally complimentary workbooks to kind of design your career, your future, your leadership journey um, with um, p- regular podcast episodes and videos and toolkits to do it yourself. So all of that, there's a plethora of free resources on the website. So do check that out. Um, and I respond to every email I get personally. So Julie at nextpivotpoint.com. Send me questions, uh, thoughts. I, I'd love to hear other people's stories as well. Mm, that's wonderful. Thank you. And I, I definitely testify that there are a lot of wonderful resources on Julie's site. So make sure that you check that out. The link will be in the blog post and in the podcast description as well. Thanks again, Julie. Thank you so much. It was, it was great spending time with you. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at JanetFouts.com and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on. Oh, and do me a favor share this show on social media or with a friend.
Thank you.